Multiverse News Hounds, what's happening now, my friends? Uh, I am just uh, jumping in at the beginning to say uh, we uh, had some technical difficulties this week, and we are only dropping an audio version of the podcast. We will drop it on the podcast and on YouTube in audio form, having a little video technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, enjoy this audio production. Woo! Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert film surpassed $100 million in pre-sales. Fantastic Four is to start shooting in 2024, plus Guillermo del Toro spills some deets on his scrapped Jabba the Hutt project. All that and more this week on Multiverse News. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Multiverse News, your one-stop shop for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name is Matthew Carroll, and today on the panel, we have someone who's never been here on Multiverse News before, and it's very good to have him, Mr. Brian V. Klein from Source Pages, uh, one of our other Stranded podcasts. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing good, but I'm confused. Taylor Swift is a fictional universe? Or oh yeah, did you mention- <laughs> for sure. Depends on which Swift do you ask. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Anyways, it's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me fill the uh, seat that Haley has vacated this week for vacation. So happy to have you. We want to have you the whole time. Glad you're big glad shoes you're on. to fill. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Trust That's me, true. I podcast with her every week. I know how important <laughs> she is in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, well, we do we do miss Haley this week, uh, but we do have our other two regular panelists, Jay Sisson from Commute the Podcast. What's up, Jay? Oh, not too much. Just happy to be here with you guys tonight. Yeah, man. Happy to have you. And Jay Scotty St. Clair, what's going on? Hey, I'm doing well, um, but I, I do want to say, can we just stop and take a second? I know we're going to talk about it later on in the lightning round, but I just want to take a second and say how much I thoroughly enjoyed the season two premiere for Loki because I haven't had a chance to talk about it anywhere else. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, man. Say away. Uh, feel free to like give, give us your like 32nd uh, spoiler free review of Loki season two. Yeah. I just, I, I absolutely loved it just being back in the world of the TVA. Um, it's just got this such a unique vibe and, and feel to it that, I mean, it did exactly what we kind of speculated it would do for a lot of people. They're kind of like, you know, questioning about the future of the MCU and this just like, Right out the gate, firing on all cylinders uh, gives me a lot of enthusiasm and assurance for this multiversal saga. Mm-hmm. Me I got too. one word to say about it: Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah, Key <laughs> Kwan I, stole God. the show. Yeah, I, this, everything he's in lately has just been like—I mean, it, the guy's filmography is really short, but what he's been in in his career is just like, oh my God! Yeah, this guy's awesome. It's all all over the fictional universes we love. That man, yeah. yes, he is <laughs> so good, so good. Well, to turn to this hypocritical story that BVK pointed out (laughs) that doesn't even fit on this show. What are we doing? We're frauds. That's what we are. Swifties have lived up to their reputation for fierce loyalty as AMC reported that global advanced ticket sales for 
pop the pop music icon's upcoming concert film surpassed $100 million Thursday. Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, is set to hit the big screen on October 13th in more than 100 countries around the world, with box office projections predicting a very lucky Friday the 13th for the singer. Who among us here has plans to participate in this, the event film of the fall? Well, I don't think I really have plans to participate, but uh, we did say that this was going to happen uh, mm-hmm. whenever this film got announced, and it was not announced with a very long runway either. Uh, it was announced, and then it was like, hey, this is coming in just a matter of weeks. So for the fact to hit over $100 million in pre-sales, that makes it one of the highest grossing pre-sale movies of the year. Uh, it's only behind like Barbie and some of like your bigger movies. I mean, it's right up there. Uh, in the top the top uh, cluster of movies uh, for pre-sales. So it did what we thought it would do. Uh, we saw movies get out of its way. The Exorcist comes to mind. It was supposed <laughs> to come out next weekend, and it jumped up. It was like, I'm not going to try to compete with Taylor Swift. And uh, it's probably going to take off from there. I mean, uh, Matt, I think when we talked about this a few weeks ago, you mentioned that this has the potential to be an event film, which is what a film really needs to be to have massive success in the box office now. It needs to be an event in a theater for people to experience and not just stream and this definitely has the potential to do that i mean we saw what the actual tour itself did and so now you're seeing people come out and try to experience that again if they experienced it over the summer so yeah i think you're going to see a really really solid few weekends from this movie and there's really not a lot of competition either um uh, once you uh, the marvels i guess is the next big film and it's still a little ways away so clear the way for taylor swift this film's going to do huge numbers Hmm. yeah I was just looking looking at uh, top grossing concert films of all time, a listicle from the internet. So who knows how right this is? But uh, according to this, Michael Jackson's "This Is It" is the top grossing concert film at two hundred and sixty one million uh, total. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you've got a hundred million in pre sales, uh, no. it's, it's not even going to be close. This is going to be the highest grossing concert film of all time. Not only because it's huge already, but this is going to have rewatchability. It's going to have this. I have no doubt. I, the reason I predicted it being so big a couple weeks ago was it has that Barbie effect of people are going to be taking pictures in their eras costumes from the different eras of Taylor Swift's career, just like they were for the concerts, but going to the movie. And it's just going to keep people are going to go back just to be in a different costume. I have no doubt. This thing is going to roll for weeks and weeks and weeks. I can say this, though, for me right now because they just did a uh, 40th anniversary re-release and it's in the theaters now, but the arguably greatest concert film is in the theaters right now. Stop making sense, which is the talking heads, uh, Jonathan Demi uh, directed thing. And we could talk about this later, but they were speaking of, you know, the whole Seinfeld reunion. There was like a little glimmer of hope that talking heads with this whole thing, they got together to promote it at, um, I think it was at, Austin City Limits? No, the Toronto Film Festival, which was a couple weeks ago. And they haven't been together in the same room since they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002. So, that's 21 years. And they're like, well, you know, bygones are bygones. So, But that film, I mean, that set the precedent for what a concert... It's a not just recording a concert and showing it. It's sort of like you see the whole thing 
And there's like a little bit of snippets between backstage and, and other stuff incorporated into it, which a lot of films have done. Mm-hmm. Muse simulation theories when it comes to mind, their concert tour that has actually like a subplot. And um, Metallica had one like that too, where it was a concert, but there was also a subplot in the story with this kid trying to get to the concert and stuff like that. So huh. maybe the Taylor Swift one would be more than the concert, but like you said, have all like their Swifties, you know, getting prepared for it and, and other stuff. So yeah, I have no doubt. And just behind the scenes stuff of how it works behind the scenes to be at a concert like that. Like uh, I watched a Justin Timberlake one a few years ago on Netflix, I think it was. And it just was amazing to see the concert, but also they just did a lot of like what goes on behind the scenes, how this, how the costume changes happen, how this, things you mm-hmm. don't get to see when you're at the show. Um, it's just a really cool medium. <laughs> and the, the, I, I, after this was uh, doing so well, I saw that Beyonce also announced one. Um, so this may be a new like money maker for cinemas, you know? Yeah. And plus, like you said, with the whole Taylor Swift thing, a lot of people there that sold a, buttload of tickets and some people couldn't go so this allows them to go see the the experience which that's exactly right if a lot of people can do that if you know a lot of things you could stream for depending on what type of music you listen to go to different places and stream like live concerts where they're playing but it's not like a theatrically done thing it's just someone filming the show but you know as a guy that's been to over a thousand concerts in his life being to a live show there's like seriously like nothing like it as far as i mean i don't have to explain it to matt because you know even being on the other side of it it's like the the, the adrenaline and stuff you get mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous yeah the energy is very different live but you know if they can recapture that i think mm-hmm. this thing will roll and roll and roll yeah, a lot of free publicity for uh, Taylor Swift at the moment, too, especially in the sports world. Uh, she's mm-hmm. getting a lot of just free attention. Her, She already had a lot of attention, obviously. She's the most famous person on the planet probably right now. But uh, just starting to – I mean, I'm seeing that Eras Tour commercial almost every commercial break of NFL games. I mean, it's it's out there now. You know, everybody's getting their eyes on it. So Yeah, well, they know yeah. what they're doing, especially with one of their <laughs> oh, most high-profile sure. with Kelsey is a big-name person. Yeah. And his – you know what his jerseys jump by like sales by like four thousand percent or something like that yeah. ridiculous it was like <laughs> okay hey people mutually beneficial can. relationship <laughs> going on right. there hopefully it doesn't end like most of her relationships end and then all of a sudden there's going to be like a hundred thousand kelsey jerseys burned in effigy <laughs> or something like that <laughs> <laughs> she writes a song about him next. Like, oh no! The the thing that I noticed, you were talking about NFL being so, so, it being on NFL. Like, I noticed I get AMC emails, and it's always like the the movie that's coming out that weekend. I have gotten like seven AMC emails. They're weekly emails, and they've all been ta- a big picture of Taylor Swift. It's like AMC was promoting it. So I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure that that was paid for. Um, but also, wasn't it like? Differently distributed too, like she's not yeah. distributing it through a major company. Yeah, yeah, those uh, those <laughs> those uh, studios are probably not too happy about the way mm-hmm. that this was distributed because it was directly through AMC. They're leaving a lot of money on the table that could have been in the hands of a studio right. distributing it. So, yeah, she's distributing it straight through AMC. She's going to keep all those profits. AMC is going to keep a nice chunk of those profits, and mm-hmm. all those studios just have to get out of the way. Yeah, I think I saw something that was like a sixty forty split. Yeah, with her getting yeah. sixty, so AM, AMC getting only forty when it's normally, I think it's normally closer to half and half. Actually, no I other- think at least the way it used to work. This may have changed more recently, but it used to work that the studios got almost 
full, like the hundred percent, the first week a movie comes out, they make all their money through concessions, which is why concessions are so crazy expensive. Right. At least that's the way theaters have traditionally worked. I don't know if it's changed in the last few years, but uh, it used to be the first week they would get a hundred percent of sales, and then it would taper down until it settled at fifty percent. But like the first week, like those opening weekend sales go straight to the the studios most of the time, as far as I understand mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I'll just say there's no denying the absolute success that Taylor Swift is right now. I mean, she's been popular and immensely successful for a number of years, but it feels like this is kind of her moment and like the the rise has been almost meteoric and she's, you know, like having success across every medium when it comes to entertainment right now. But um, the opening is obviously going to be huge with these, these pre-ticket advanced sales here, but I also think like this movie is going to have a nice long run. It doesn't, it's not facing much competition. The Marvels is kind of like the only real big thing other than like killers of the flower moon. Dune two got pushed to next year. So I think you can look at similar films, like uh, the greatest showman comes to mind. Like that was a film that the opening wasn't super, you know, impressive or anything like that, but it's got this like interactive community Mm. feel to it. Like people can go, they can rewatch it. They can sing along it becomes like this this cultural movement. So um, to that end, I think this movie is going to do like absolute gangbusters and just be another feather in the hat that uh, Taylor Swift's rocking. So I don't have my tickets yet, but the FOMO is setting in. It feels like, you know, it's going to be the thing to miss this fall. So I, I don't know if I want to be in that camp, not knowing what everybody's talking about. It's funny you mentioned rewatchability and the fact that musicals have this sort of like inherent rewatchability. One of the things mm-hmm. I hear comedians complain about all the time when they're talking about musicians versus comedian life okay. is once you've burned a comedy set as a special, you're just done with it. You're not allowed to do it anymore. Like the the the, the culture is you're done with those jokes. You have to build your new set. Uh, if, if you go see a comedian and they're doing all their material from their last special, then you feel like betrayed that you're mm. not getting new material. But then like uh, you go see a musician and you expect them to play their old songs. So like yeah. the thing is, is like, comedians are mad at musicians because like, you get to play the same three minutes of music and make it hit hard for the rest of your life. And I have to write new <laughs> material every year. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Well, in the same sense, though, as a musician, you know that you have to keep making new stuff because if you don't, that old stuff's not going to matter. You can't really bank yourself off of one. I mean, I'm mm, putting it in the that context. That depends, yeah. man. That depends. You can you can run off you, if you have one hit. You can play county fairs into big crowds the rest of your life. Yeah, if you're Warrant and you wrote Cherry Pie, you're like, we're set, yeah. baby. <laughs> you just you, you do the Cherry Pie tour once every five years and make your money. You know, like that's all you need. You guys want to hear this again? Yeah, of <laughs> yeah course you they do. do. Yeah. Well, don't say anything to Gallagher. He's made a career over smashing fruit with a mallet for the last how many years to like sold out audiences. <laughs> that's a good R. point. R.I.P. <laughs> oh, did he pass away? I didn't even know he passed away. Much. Oh, yeah. I think about a year ago. Oh, okay. Yes, R.I.P. Yeah, but I remember that thing, too. I mean, speaking of people that died... Uh, few years ago i remember when he before he quit the band the lead singer of smash mouth like went off on an audience at a fair because he was just like we used to sell out stadiums and this and that and it's like that's how music works mm-hmm. you can go from being gigantic and then all of a sudden two albums later it's like no one cares about you anymore if you're sign it i mean i remember back in the day limp biscuit even though i never really liked them they were gigantic and then like two years later i saw him getting booed off the metallica tour because they had to play after lincoln park who was newer at the time and it was like no one cared about him anymore right because it was almost a novelty thing yeah bringing it back to swift and it just depends on like how many albums you've had success with and she's finally reached that point where like she's never not going to be 
Like to be the legend that she is at her age is insane. Like there are legends like that, but it's like people that have had storied 30 year careers. And I mean, she's had like what a 15 year career, but she started so young that it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the only one I can think of is like Michael Jackson started younger with the Jackson five and sort of developed his career similarly. But like, it's, it's pretty wild to be where she is now. I mean, it's an older thing, but it reminds me of something like with early, like Stevie wonder and he would go through big changes in sound too i mean he created a lot of like funk soul stuff in the 70s mm-hmm. and then it just like you you you, you merge with it and that's the thing. i mean i give her credit too is that she went from being she started off as a country, country artist yeah yeah and then it just like progressed and some people you know were like well they don't play her on country radio anymore well yeah she's not country but as a musician you have to you know if you sit there and play the same stuff all the time you know, it can get just monotonous and people are like, oh, yeah, they're doing the same thing again. But some mm-hmm. people can make a career out of that. So, yeah, got to develop. You got to develop. All right. Up next, MCU Fantastic Four director Matt Shackman delivered some updates on the upcoming film in a new interview with Collider, where he shared that they're aiming to start filming in spring 2024 as long as SAG-AFTRA can nail down a fair deal with studios soon. He also teased an impending casting announcement at the conclusion of the strike. Shackman previously directed all nine episodes of WandaVision for Marvel Studios. Do we take any stock in this suggested time frame for production to start? And if so, who will be the first role officially cast? Yeah, so this news makes a lot of sense coming off the heels of having a resolution to the writer's strike. It makes sense that we would get some kind of update on the Fantastic Four. It's, you know, one of the tentpole movies projected for the next few years, as well as, you know, a um, a ballast of support, for lack of a better term, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the multiverse saga going forward here. So um, as far as Matt Shackman's involvement, uh, I am pretty excited for him to be the director. I think he, he excites me a little bit more than the previous director, John Watts, being attached to it. I mean, I loved all the mm. Spider-Man films but i just think getting some fresh blood in there and matt shackman like having done the great job he did with wandavision i know it's not him alone it's you know a whole team of writers and all the performers obviously but um he seems to have a good handle on especially in the case of like wandavision with wanda he was able to portray a nuanced uh but also a very powerful uh woman character that felt real so Talking about Sue Storm kind of being our our main character for this movie going forward, like that bodes very well for me. And talking about potential casting, I think it makes sense that you lead with with Sue Storm casting. And hopefully, the rumors that we speculated about previously with Vanessa Kirby, that's still my number one pick. I hope that pans out. But whoever we get, I'm sure you know Matt Shackman being involved and and everybody that's you know coming together to make that film is going to make a a good choice. So. Uh, it'll probably still be a while before we get anything really solid, but you know, ag- again, having the writer strike concluded, that just you know gives me hope and expectation that the writer, the uh, actor strike rather, will be resolved as well, and then we can actually really start getting some some casting and stop talking about rumors finally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the Margot Robbie days and the Adam Driver days <laughs> and all of that, but the, yeah, the Vanessa Kirby thing seems all but confirmed as far as you can confirm in the current climate that we're in. So I would be completely shocked if it was anyone other than her, just based on the people that I've seen report it and just the way that it's being talked about. It seems like it's locked in. It just can't be announced formally and signed formally until after the strike. But uh, Matt Shockman also said in this interview that the 
his vision for this movie was going to be unlike anything else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, I mean, is something these directors say. But still, I thought that was an interesting thing to pick out of there is that he he does see this as a very grand scale type movie that's going to move the universe forward in a big way and is going to hopefully sort of set up a way of combining a lot of these loose storylines together into something. Uh, we've also seen Kevin Feige talk about the Fantastic Four are going to be basically the new leaders of the core heroes from now on. Now that Iron Man and, and Captain America are sort of vacated those roles, that he at least sees the Fantastic Four as stepping into that role and driving forward this universe, bringing people together to do something. So I think all that being said, there's a, a lot riding on the shoulders of this movie, and it's really going to have to deliver in a lot of different ways, more than just being a great movie. It's going to have to deliver in a lot of ways of bringing storylines together, characters together, and then pushing something forward into the future as we navigate whatever this multiverse saga is going to ultimately be. Mm. The last thing I read, I haven't, obviously they haven't had much news on this, but I think the last thing I saw for casting besides Kirby was, wasn't Matt Smith rumored to play Reed Richards? At one point, yeah. At one There's point, so I don't... Rumor after rumor after rumor, so we really don't know. It was kind of plan B to Adam Driver's plan yeah. A. I, I heard what yeah. Adam Driver was offered the role, and then he yeah. looked at it, and he's just like, no thanks. The rumor like, is he, that they're not giving up, that they've come back to Adam Driver more than once to try to convince mm-hmm. him to take the role, that they, they're pretty... Uh, they're pretty you know, down bad for Adam Driver as uh, mm-hmm. as Reed Richards. <laughs> well, we talked about it on Source Pages when we're doing our lead up. I mean, who knows when it's going to come out now, the 2014-15 Secret Wars uh, run with the whole battle world and multiverse is that Reed Richards in that role in that in the comic run is kind of manic, kind of like Matt Smith's doctor. And I'm like, oh my God, once they put the two and two together, I'm like, he could play a perfect role. But then also Adam Driver can play Manic very well too. Because you don't have to be, Reed Richards is one of those characters that in the comics and stuff has been portrayed so many different ways that most people might be only familiar with the way that, I can never pronounce his name right, with Ian Grunfold or the guy that played him in the, the movies, the um, Michael the Chiklis, story. the visual fan. Yeah. yeah, whereas like he played it a certain way. But, um, I mean, I think any any of the characters, you know, is going to be... I think they might actually do something where they make a grand thing and we're like, here is your cast. Here's the four yeah. people. Here are the, you know, your four main people. And, you know... I, I think that's likely, too. Um, the big thing that uh, excites me was, is, you know, y- you kind of made fun of it there, Jay, the idea that this is going to be different than anything Marvel's ever done. But, like... Most directors, I'd feel that way. Like, oh, directors always say that. But, like, Matt Shackman did WandaVision, and that is a weird, weirdly structured story. Like, almost to its detriment. I know a lot of people who fell off that show because they were like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't care about this, like, weird sitcom thing they're doing for two full, three full episodes, you know? Like, I know people who just bailed on that show completely, and you had to be, like, they had to be begged back to come. Like, no, no, it's, it gets good, I promise. For better or worse, I do believe that it'll be something different, something weird, um, and that's cool. I love it. I like if to see them do something that different. As different as WandaVision was for a series, if they could do something that different for a movie, I'd be very on board. I think that's, that could be pretty exciting. One thing that you also mentioned, too, is about the fact that it's going to be sort of like the linchpin and glue to put the story together for the future. As much as I've always, I've enjoyed the stuff that's come out post-Endgame, with a few exceptions, but they compared it to the beginning of Phase 1, 
where phase one was individual stories where they didn't know where it was going, which is fine. But in so far in phase four, like I take back Eternals at the end of Eternals, there's a giant head and body shooting out of the water. They've only referenced that once since then. I think that was what Miss Marvel and like one of the newspaper headlines or something. Or She-Hulk, She-Hulk, yeah. Stuff like that, there has to be a little bit more... Even just mentioned because this is, a lot of people are saying like, oh yeah, this great was this movie was great. It took place on Earth. How come they didn't do anything? I know it's a, it's a a focused point of a movie, but they still sort of should be like reassuring to the audience that yes, this is a connected universe. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to that, I think um, that it's it's always still connected in a way, but having it to the people that aren't as like as deep divers as we are, because I know a lot of people that are just sort of like. They don't really care about the MCU anymore, even though they were like day one, you know, lining up and getting the Thursday night preview for Endgame to see how that ended. But I think like half the world did that anyway. So, right. Well, a lot of people just feel like that's where the story ended Mm -hmm. and everything else past that's either like a money grab or whatever. Like it's not, uh, and like I understand them feeling that way because they're not being supplied with the same kind of connectivity. But like I still think they're telling good stories. It's just a matter of can they pull off another. Infinity Saga, you know, can they do it again? Can they pull that off? And and it, it or is that even necessary? Do they just need to get back to telling good core stories and then let it build naturally? Because the the Infinity Saga wasn't always going to be the Infinity Saga. They, they yeah. apparently, um, uh, Joss Whedon decided to throw in Thanos in Avengers. And that was not the plan. Like he had just like, Hey, how about we end it with Thanos? And they were like, okay. So like all those movies leading up to that, they weren't supposed to be that way. Maybe having too much of a plan is a detriment sometimes too. I don't know. And I think also too, with the Marvel stuff with MCU lately is that there's so much content out there now with that Disney plus Mm -hmm. shows that it's just like, it could seem like the stories aren't, you know, are divergent from each other and not like, you know, like the sacred timeline isn't being kept you know, yeah. intact in, in that way. So it's, it's very yeah. spread out right now and it does need to be brought back to a core story somehow. Yeah. A lot of people that I know that are sort of falling off of it, it's because they do feel overwhelmed by the amount of content, you know, they saw in game mm. and then they maybe caught a show or two here and there, or like they caught a movie here and there, but they've also missed a couple movies and missed a couple shows. And the idea of watching all of that content, like they think they have to watch all that content for the next movie to make sense. So at that point, it's just easier to step away. It's like if somebody tells you like, mm-hmm. Hey, you should watch this show. And you're like, Oh yeah, that sounds like something I'd like. And they're like, there's 17 seasons of it. You're like, I don't yeah. think I'm going to do that. You know, like it's just too much to to try to work through and uh, I think a lot of people have that energy around the MCU because there's just so much explosion of content after Endgame it was just it was a lot and and people just kind of were like you know I'm I'm good and they're afraid if they go pay a ticket and go see a movie that they're going to miss all these things and characters are going to be like who's that who's this what's going on here and it's just going to be confusing so I think it's just easier Mm -hmm. just to sort of step back and be like okay I guess I'm not really missing anything yeah, you're describing an experience that I hadn't really considered, which is like people who went to Endgame figured it was done, and then maybe they start hearing great things about what's happening on the TV shows, but then they go and check IMDb and they're like, oh, there's already six of them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it happened so fast that like 
as soon as you hear the shows are, oh, actually, you know, Moon Knight's really, really good. And they're like, oh, well, maybe I should catch up on the MCU. Oh, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Miss Marvel. Like, they just start, oh, that's too many shows. To, I definitely do that all the time where someone tells me a show's great. I'm like, how many, how many seasons? <laughs> There's no chance. There's just no chance I'm making it through that anytime Smile soon. Smile and nod. <laughs> I don't know if you guys talked about this, but I saw that after, like, the week after the One Piece live action on Netflix came out, the mm-hmm. first two, like first two or three episodes, were like their most downloaded shows that were not original content in their history. But then I've seen people go like, "There's a thou- almost eleven hundred episodes of the anime." Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's been a long commitment to it, but mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes it, it, it things are gateways like that. But then all of a sudden you look at it and you go, which is the reason why a lot of Marvel comics do resets because they don't want to see all of a sudden, oh, here's Captain America number eight seventeen. Do I have to read all the ones before that to get into this now? Or no, we're just resetting it. It's interesting. It's, it reminds me of the word sticker shock, but these days it's not price because it's all on the streaming services we already have. It's like the sticker shock of getting involved in a like universe you're not involved in already. Like, oh, oh, there's six movies? Uh, maybe. I don't, I don't know if I can afford that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> when there's this much going on. All right. Up next, Guillermo del Toro confirmed during a Q&A presented by Collider that he was at one time working on a Star Wars movie that would center on the rise of Jabba the Hutt. Del Toro was working on the project with screenwriter David S. Goyer, who first teased the news last month on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. Del Toro says he has no hard feelings about Lucasfilm not moving forward with the project, but how do we feel about Del Toro's Jabba film having never seen the binary sun light of day? Well, I can tell you this. There was one reason why this thing didn't get followed through and that was the box office failure of solo and because this was reported this was in the pipeline five years ago when they hadn't announced that there was the fine films with the, the sequels and then the rogue one and everything was going great the wheels fell off solo because they wanted to rush it and do it and they didn't originally they were going to move it to the december slot but mary poppins returns was already out there so they kept it six months after last jedi which is like one of the most divisive films of all time regardless of any genre and that caused a lot of people to boycott solo so they decided they're not going to because they also even canceled a um who's the guy that did the fantastic four the most recent one josh uh josh trank he was supposed to do a boba fett centered prequel story like origin story and so they decided we're gonna just not do anything with these things and because they realized that uh maybe it was just a solo backlash but i mean having someone david s goyer if you ever look at his screenwriting and just the you know the dark knight trilogy in itself is you know pretty monumental and then guillermo del toro you know it, it is what it is do i need did i would it be cool to see a job at a hut story like this yeah Am I missing it that it didn't happen? Not necessarily because there's so much other stuff that's out there now, too. It's not like there was a big glut and all of a sudden, oh, there's no Star Wars now. And, you know, he's got a cool story and we see it referenced a lot in other things, but it is what it is. Maybe they'll get back to him doing something with them in the future. But for, for now, you know, Star Wars with Filoni and Favreau and those guys in charge of it, I have full faith in it. So, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to defer to our guest as the resident Star Wars expert, but had Brian not been here, I would have totally jumped on this story because 
This is one that I, an idea I definitely think they should revisit. It makes sense looking at the timeline with the failure of Solo and uh, all the other projects that were, you know, being talked about and, and potentially coming down the pike. Um, this sounds amazing. Everything from Guillermo del Toro's involvement, like he's a master of the practical effects. You go back and look at like Pan's Labyrinth and uh, the Hellboy movies, like just translate that to Jabba's Palace. Like I want to see you know, salacious crumb. I want to see the fully practical Jabba again. I don't need the CGI Jabba. Like, and I trust that Guillermo del Toro would do that. And to your point there, Brian, yeah, David Escoyer as a, as a writer, like that sounds amazing, but I want to take you guys on a little bit of a journey here. So bear with me a little bit of a story, but people don't um, know the full spectrum of my star Wars fandom. I used to be an uber star wars nerd like you look when the the prequel movies were coming out like star wars was my fandom like i went on wikipedia every day or starwars.com every day and i was on the the message boards i was on the forums all the speculation for revenge of the sith like i was a part of it and then uh, as time went on and this the sequel trilogy came out like i still love star wars and i've enjoyed everything star wars that's come out but i have this this separation now i'm not as beholden to it but all that being said there was a series of books that are now considered expanded universe um legends yeah legends yeah excuse <laughs> me yeah, it was universe. it was uh expanded universe first now it's legends that's a yeah. sore spot for a lot of people we better be careful yeah yeah <laughs> there's an author named kevin j anderson and he did two books one was called tales of the jedi the other one was called tales from java's palace and i absolutely and actually did a third one tales from the bounty hunters and i read all three but i absolutely love Tales from Jabba's Palace. And I think if they use that as a framework and like told this anthology story where multiple unsavory characters are kind of weaving in and out of Jabba's world and and facing his judgment, like he's like the godfather. He's like this looming figure that everyone's intimidated by. And you like you learn about the legend of Jabba, but like third party, like the more I talk about this, the more excited and the more sad I'm, I am that this was never <laughs> reality. Like we need to revisit this one. There was actually another book called Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. Ooh, see, that's... We- that, which basically <laughs> takes all of the ones from the original Star Wars and tells stories about every single character that was in there. And some of them, and when you go back and watch the movie, you're like, wow, that gives it a lot of, you know, each one of the stories is only maybe 15, 20 pages long. So they're little right. novellas, little short stories. Exactly. But it's just like, oh my God, the reason why this guy's doing what he's doing is because he like has proboscises that could come out and he sucks people's brains out of the back of their head after he gives yeah. them drinks. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously it's all legends and not canonical now, but uh, speaking of that though, they are going back and pulling a lot of the stuff from the old EU into For canon sure. anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, calling the new Ray movie is in the new Jedi order. And right. like the old the the uh, James Mangold movie that's set thirty thousand years in the past is set in the dawn of the Jedi, which is those are time periods from the old EU. So mm-hmm. really dig yeah, it. Yeah, Dave Filoni really seems to be wanting to bring in as much of the old canon as he can of the old legends, um, and you know, still being able to work with. They're doing it very cleverly too, and this is something I think the MCU or any of these universes could um, pull from, which is like. Yeah, yeah, you you told your Infinity Saga. Like, what if we had the movies continue go forward, but some of these TV shows were set kind of in the cracks of the Infinity Saga, filling in. Like, what if we got to know hey, how we're talking about Star Wars, not Marvel, Matt? <laughs> I know, but I'm saying <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just I'm saying it's it's something they could learn from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we talk about Star Wars and Matt's eyes glass over. So it's like, oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for sure. Just hate the stuff. No, I've, I've really been enjoying, uh, I really enjoyed Ahsoka. I don't know if you're yeah. talking about it, but I really enjoyed Ahsoka. I never screamed at my TV so much since like Bando season two with all this, especially that last episode when they showed like the, the whole father, son and daughter stat. I'm like, oh my God. Like I, right, know, I, was, right. I thought I was going to wake up the kids because when they aired, I yelled so loud at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. But that's Filoni. Yep, yep. And that's and that's the thing. I, I think it's really clever how they're doing that. They're expanding the universe by putting these stories in parts of the universe that already exist and have already been used by the films. And they're sort of filling in the gaps between them with the TV shows um, and not really telling what's... Because they're reserving sort of what, what happens to, to the uh, you know universe after... Uh, what's the last one called? What's episode nine called? Rise, Rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, after Rise of Skywalker, they're not telling those stories yet. So they have the one, the the Ray movie is already. I think that's the maybe might be the next one that's going right. For exactly. They're production. saving it for the big movies to do the tent poles, and then they're going to probably backfill that story too with with television content that sort of like makes the world feel even more lived in. You know. Well, speaking of that, and you were saying about how you were big back. Did you ever read like the Tales of the Jedi comics, the Dark Horse comics that went back uh, like three, four thousand years? I did not. Okay, because they've referenced the High Republic, which is that canonical comic, like multimedia event thing that takes place two hundred years ago, has been referencing points in those oh, comics. And I'm like, oh my nice. god, they're pulling more and more stuff to canon. So it's like mm-hmm. they figure that's so far back that it's like no one's really going to know or even care about it. But it's been pulling people to like go grab and start reading all those old because you can get all the dark horse comics on marvel unlimited so yeah these are these are star wars fans do not underestimate us oh yeah they (laughs) literally you can you can you know you can't put anything by people especially i remember when there was a big thing when in the clone wars when Evan Peel was killed and like, no, he's still alive in the books. It's like, mm. oh my God, it was a big controversy. And it's <laughs> Evan Peel is a character that you only see in the Phantom Menace and the Jedi Council. It's like, yeah, trust me. It's like, uh, mm. do you guys remember that old SNL skit from the 90s when William Shatner was on and they were asking him so personal questions? It was like on a QA and they're like, how many calves are, I mean, how many cows are in your ranch? And he's like, I don't know, six. He's like, was well, that count the two calves that were born yesterday morning? And he's like, get a life, people. You guys yeah. know way too much about this stuff and way too nuanced. It's like, well, <laughs> that's what happens when you deep dive into a fandom. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, there was a whole era where I think Star Wars almost overdid it a little bit, and they started announcing a lot of films. It was right after the sequel trilogy. They announced mm-hmm. it, that uh, Taika Waititi would have an entire trilogy. Uh, and every once in a while, someone will ask Taika Waititi, like, you still doing that Star Wars movie? And he's always like, uh, yeah, I got some ideas about it. Like, it's like he doesn't, he hasn't <laughs> even thought about it since they announced it, basically. So they had that. Mm-hmm. They also announced Ryan Johnson was going to do a whole trilogy. They and did they that had- before <laughs> The Last Jedi came out, though. And he's still saying yeah. it's still in the works, but... And then they announced, like, a Patty Jenkins Rogue One movie. Right. They, that I mean, they, like, they were firing. Rogue Squadron. Yeah, they were Rogue firing Squadron them off. Is, that's dead. Yeah, and it just seems like a lot of those movies at least the announcements have been revisited and maybe conversations have happened like with the Patty Jenkins one or maybe it seems like Taika Waititi has changed his tune a little bit like well it might not be a whole trilogy it might just be like a movie you know so there, there I think there's a little bit of like there was almost that spigot turned all the way on a little bit uh, I don't know if that's that change in leadership from like Iger to Chapek at Disney or something like that I don't know if that matches up with the timeline but it seems like that that conversation has been revisited that's obviously a 
huge Dave Filoni's a huge part of that because he's very much stabilized the way and the the vision I think of this whole uh, franchise. But really, yeah. you've you've got you've got like almost there was almost I think, and I, and I almost wonder if this Del Toro thing was part of that like, like big push and like mm-hmm. we just got to fire off a lot of content at one time i was listening to an interview with the authors of that new book i'm sure you guys have seen it uh, popping up the reign of the mcu there's a yeah. new book yeah yeah about yeah. about the sort of behind the scenes of how all that came together and uh they're being interviewed and they were talking about it. i'm sure it's in the book but in the interview they were talking about how apparently bob Iger was responsible for a lot of that push and then he left yeah. and then bob chapik took over and then he came back and things were kind of in disarray. And Bob Iger was like, who started all these projects? And he's like, he did, did. it. Like he, he came back and he was all upset about how over like rot everything was. Yeah. And he's the guy who like made those decisions right before he took Alf out the door. It's like the meme of the guy that's like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> I want to make one comment about what Jay said about Taika Waititi. And this is funny because he's admitted it and it's sort of like got not quite maybe jokingly canceled, but he on an interview was talking about during making Thor love and thunder. He asked Natalie Portman straight out. He's like, did you ever, do you ever think about, you'd ever do a star Wars movie? And she's like, wait, what? He's like, did you ever do a star Wars movie? She's like, I'm Luke and Leia's mom. Like she was in a big part of the, movie. and he like completely either didn't know that or blanked it out. Oh. And then he admitted it. And star Wars fans were like, yeah, we don't want him making a movie. So that might oh, actually man. be sort of like pushed again. They've gone through so many different changes and stuff being announced and canceled and pushed back and this and that. And yeah, it's just funny when you know someone from <laughs> from from a content thing, and then you know them as a human being. They're a different person. You know what I mean? So he he probably knew that at like when he, but then he got to know her on set, and she's just the person he's hanging out with every day. And he's like, "Hey, Natalie, you'd be really good in this role I'm thinking about." And it's like, <laughs> "Oh crap, no, I right, you were that." <laughs> yeah. It may have gone down that way, but I think he absolutely was trolling her. Like that's just the kind of guy he is. Oh, that's true. That's a <laughs> yeah. good. That's a good call. Yeah. That's a good call. I know, but in the context of what it was said, the way he presented it, people are just going to be like. Really? Yeah, That's I was gonna say, way, do you yeah, think I mean, do you think Star Wars fans have a sense of humor about that type of stuff? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't think so. I've got a bad feeling about this now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. We've got a lot of good stuff after the break with our lightning round and our Spotify poll update. And uh we'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Multiverse News, and we're going to get to our Spotify poll update in just a second, but I wanted to tell you guys about your chance to help out the show, which is why you should all be motivated to do this, but also (laughs) to win a copy of the Season 1 DVD box set of Loki, which is a very pretty, pretty thing. Um, And so we're going to actually give three of them away, and the way we're going to do that is pick people who have done one of three things. 
and some of these things aren't even available yet. But for the whole month of the whole of October, uh, if you will go review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I know we can see the we can see all the Apple Podcasts, but if you would screenshot your review and send it in to us at multiversenewscast at gmail.com. Uh, and secondly, if you will share the show at any of our social medias, you can go to Instagram. We are Multiverse Newscast. We are MV Newscast on Twitter. Um, if you share the cast and just let people know we exist and screenshot it, send it again to multiversenewscast at gmail.com. And thirdly, we have a Patreon. This is, I guess, probably more the headline than anything, but we have a Patreon now. Um, and I'm actually not sure if it will be live by the time this drops. It's supposed to go live soon, but it's a Multiverse Newscast uh, on Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash Multiverse Newscast. And if you do any of those three actions, we are going to enter you to win a uh, Loki Season 3. <laughs> yeah, Loki Season 3 box set. For, it's it's from the future. For that. I'm yeah. going to say, I'm definitely signing up then. I want to see that. <laughs> Real on, on brand for the time travel yeah. theme. Uh, but no, Loki Season 1 DVD box set. We're going to give them away. Um, if you if you would support the show in any of those three ways, it would be really helpful. And we're going to give three DVDs away to people who did those three different actions. So, uh, like I said, one more time, patreon.com slash multiverse newscast instagram.com slash multiverse newscast twitter.com slash mv newscast and then you can also hit that a uh, five-star review on itunes or spotify do all those things and send us a screenshot of any of it and we will uh give away those uh at the end of october so anybody can do those anytime in the next three weeks that would be awesome we'll be mentioning it um, but we're just trying to trying to help us juice our numbers a little bit. We are really excited this show has grown the way it has, and we just want to get in front of more people's faces. If you like this show, you just want to support us on Patreon because we work really hard to make this show. It's not like other Stranded Panda shows where we just show up and talk about things. We like write this show and everything. Come on, guys. I mean, you go over there to source pages. You guys work really hard <laughs> reading all those books. We read comics and books. Yeah. And then there's a lot of writing involved with it because otherwise it's like, you know, just notes. I write my stuff out. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, we're talking about comics. And so, yeah, you know, hard, hard, I'm hard at play. Yeah, exactly. It's it is all the other shows we do. We uh we like watch a thing we like or read a thing we like and then talk about it. But like work hard to bring you guys a show every week. So if you have the resources to support it, we'd be very thankful. Unlimited entries too. Like if you review it and then you go like grab your brother's phone and review it, like send That's both right. of those screenshots in, you'll get two two chances to win. So <laughs> true, true. <laughs> do it do it on all your friends' phones. Five star <laughs> reviews on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Wake up, babe. New Multiverse News Review Contest and Patreon just dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Up next, we got our Spotify poll update for last week. We asked, what effect do James Gunn's comments about the DCU have on you? And uh, it was a pretty decisive decisive poll. 7% of you said they get you excited. Uh, More power to you. Uh, 22% of you said it makes you curious and you'd like to know more. Uh, 22% of you said frustrated and 48% of you said you're losing hope in his DCU whenever he opens his mouth, (laughs) which hasn't started yet. We may add. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
Those, so the uh, we've been made and like you know it's a little bit of a slanted poll because we've been here talking about it every week how we feel about it but like how you all feel about it I felt singled out last week you guys were all on <laughs> <laughs> no granted he should totally shut his mouth I'm I'm kind of tired of him opening his mouth too but I voted I'm I'm curious tell me more but uh, somebody needs to share this poll with James Gunn just so he can put a lid on it because yeah the uh, <laughs> yeah, overwhelming yeah. sentiment seems to be uh, not good. I think he yeah. has a hair trigger with responses when someone gives a sort of mixed or negative thing towards it. He comes out and says too much instead of just being mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, it is what it is. Maybe that's just the him on, you know, him being a creative and he's now in sort of an executive position. I don't know mm-hmm. how that's all going to work, but you know, he's got you know, someone like Filoni has Favreau on his side too. So there's good works <laughs> in the guy. He, I've got the guy that he's working with is Peter the, the Saffron. Co- yeah, yeah, they're both. We're talking that. about DC, not Star Wars. I know, but I was, I was so. Into, I'm so. <laughs> you, you were locked and loaded with that. You were just waiting for your chance to snap back. <laughs> Peter Saffron's over there, like, wait, I work for DC. Oh, oh gosh, James, stop! <laughs> I totally, totally forgot about that. Oh yeah, my he's gosh. like, yeah, and this James Gun guy is running his. Oh crap! <laughs> I'm gonna have to deal with that. Right, why do you have a nine o'clock meeting tomorrow morning? <laughs> What exactly? I mean, I didn't see what exactly did he say. Is it just him, you know, basically doing the playing the devil's advocate talking about? It's just been every week. He says something about the DCU that seems to confuse the issue or make it seem aimless or like it's just like we're getting way too much. Here's what I think about it. I think that it's James Gunn is now in control. and He's been under the thumb of Marvel for years, and he's always been a guy who likes to really communicate with the fans, and he's always been under the thumb of Marvel, and now that's not there, and he can say whatever he wants, and it's just like he's not rolling out the information in an intriguing way that is good for hype. It's like he's throwing out information that just makes you – didn't he like release the entire script for Legacy or something like that, Superman Legacy? I don't think so. It was like a breakdown of sort of what the story may entail, but okay, nothing maybe more that's than. I mean, I think too with it was just like with, and I think they did a good job with it. I enjoyed Blue Beetle, but he said that this character is going to be going forward in the DCU, but this is not the first DCU film because it wasn't under his production. Yeah. But it's go. So he says stuff like that. It's like, so the character. I mean, that's going to really yeah. confuse well, yeah. everyone with Aquaman too. Then, but then if you saw mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen in Flash it's, with the, the drunk yeah. Arthur Curry, like. Okay, what's going on here now? Maybe yeah. he, he's just trying to make sense of what was handed to him when he took over, too. There's so. kind of been, like, three tent poles. Like, the first one was, hey, The Flash might be new DCU content. And so everybody went and saw The Flash, and then it was pretty definitively, like, actually, it's not. So I think that was mm-hmm. where it started, was just the stumping really hard for The Flash, trying to connect it to the uni- new universe. It's going to reset everything, all this type of stuff. And then feeling like that was sort of abandoned. And then the second one was the whole Gal, Gad- uh, Gal Gadot and, like, Henry Cavill thing about like uh, him showing up in Black Adam and then now he's not Superman and like her saying oh yeah I'm gonna I was talking to James about Wonder Woman 3 and then him basically like using the trades to shoot that down that that was not anything that was in development and then this most recent thing has been the yeah we're gonna bring Peacemaker we're gonna bring Amanda Waller we're gonna bring Blue Beetle over and some things from the past may still be there some connective tissue but those are the only three characters that are coming to the new DCU which is just frustrating for someone who cares about continuity so I think it's it's all of these things right just over the course of the summer have added up to just fans being like can we get like 
just this started and can we get some like actual continuity laid down and i think i think he just doesn't think people care about continuity as much as they do and so when they send something to him on threads and they're like how does this connect to this he's just like well it might it might not and to him it's like okay that's not a big deal uh but to the fan they're like no but it does matter (laughs) so uh you know i think it's kind of created this like weird storm and I, i don't think he's very good at communicating with the talent either like i think gal gadot literally probably didn't probably really thought that there was a future for her in Wonder Woman, just based on what she said. And then for her to be hung out to dry, it's like, that's not a, that's not a good look. I think the main thing he has is the fact that he's got an ongoing thing that's still present with the movies that are coming out that aren't while he's still trying to develop the new thing. And it's like, and especially because DC is a very, you know, even though it's divided and everything, at least now with them being trying to put it all under the same umbrella, it's a very big property. And with, but you could also sort of tell is like, after I mean I remember, well like it was like the week before Shazam came out. It was when the whole Henry Henry Cavill bombshell happened, and Shazam just like everyone was like, I don't why do I got to go see this now? Yeah, so was it, it I thought bomb. it was like right after Black Adam because it was like that made that post credit yeah. scene feel even more pointless. Was, okay, I know it was sometime yeah, like that it was where it was October. just like, I think then, it was about since, a year ago to the day. Yeah, but mm. everything since then. I mean, people thinking that Aquaman two was going to make the one point one billion dollars worldwide that the first one did, it might be lucky to make a fifth of that. So, yeah, especially with all like the new controversy that's going oh, on. We're going to be crap, following so. it closely with our bet. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling come better. On that later, <laughs> I'm feeling better about that projection every day that more news comes out about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, well, let's get into the lightning round. We're going to need to do this like a lightning round, guys. Uh, What we do in the lightning round is I'm going to read a story, and you can, if you are interested in that story, if you want to talk about it, you claim it by saying your name. You buzz it in with your name, and then you are the person who gets to give your take on that story. And in the entire lightning round, you get one rebuttal, where if you want to say something on top of what someone else said, you can do that. So uh, here we go. Lightning round to commencing. Uh, CD Projekt Red is teaming with anonymous content to develop a live-action work set within the universe of Cyberpunk 2077. The project, which will feature an all-new story set in the world of the game franchise, is still in the early development stages and currently looking for a screenwriter. Scotty. I'm excited to talk about this one. I've been playing cyberpunk. I've been playing a lot of cyberpunk here. And the story about cyberpunk is an interesting one because this game originally came out three years ago in 2020 and had an absolutely disastrous launch. It was super anticipated. Um, the the developer CD Projekt Red were coming off of The Witcher 3, which was you know one of the most celebrated RPGs of all time, still is. So it's been a really interesting journey to see this like, game rehabilitate itself through a number of patches they had a big patch that came out uh maybe six seven months ago uh with the accompanied by the netflix anime series edge runners and that brought a a large audience and got new people playing the game but here recently they released their expansion 2.0 which like it's basically like a whole new version of the game they've implemented uh, so many new features and fixed so many bug it, bugs, and they also had uh, the DLC with Idris Elba of Phantom Liberty. So making this announcement right now makes a lot of sense, and um, just looking at who they choose to partner with here, Anonymous, like, um, I don't have it right in front of me, but they've done a number of high-profile, high-quality uh, productions. So 
I like everything about this. Uh, the world of cyberpunk is very rich, very lived in. So to have that translated to live action um, is incredibly exciting. And I know we're not going to get a season two of Edge Runners, but hopefully we also see more in the the animated realm there too, because I cannot sing the praises of Edge Runners enough. Sweet. Exorcist Believer took the number one spot at the box office this weekend with a $27.2 million domestic and $45.1 million opening worldwide. Jay, okay, so yes, that is a solid opening weekend for a horror movie, um, but Universal paid $400 million for the rights to The Exorcist, and that is important information that needs to be said here because they got into a bidding war and ended up paying $400 million for the rights to The Exorcist. So what that means is that they are in a deep hole with this franchise, and there will be more Exorcist content. There will be more (laughs) movies. There will be a streaming show on Peacock. Like They are going to keep moving out this franchise because they have to. They have to make Mm. up that ground that they are very deep in. Uh, That is a deep hole. And uh, that is a problem because The Exorcist uh, is probably not going to have great weekends from here on out. It did not get great reviews. Uh, It has a C cinema score, which is not good. Horror films always have lower cinema scores. But C, for a movie like The Exorcist, which is coming off of like a legendary picture and it's connected to that, like it should be higher, right? Like, so it's not it's not being reviewed well. The audience score is very low. P- people who are a fan of the franchise did not like it, it seems, on the whole. And that, you know, we've already talked about it. You got Taylor Swift coming in next weekend. Like, mm. that that's a big, that, like, young female audience, like, that's a big part of, of a horror film's audience. So, like, yeah, that's... The, the $400 million price tag of Exorcist sort of looms large here uh, above the whole thing. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, Scotty with a quick rebuttal. So you mentioned Universal Pictures, but they're not the only ones in on this $400 million investment. It was also Blumhouse, which is yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, historically always they've made their success by going with super, super low budgets. So this is completely an outlier for them, and it's going to be tough for them to recoup on this one. But um, I also wanted to say that this was supposed to be the start of a, a new trilogy. So uh, David Gordon Green did that once for us before with the Halloween reboot, Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends, and it was kind of diminishing returns there. So with the lukewarm start to this new Exorcist uh, trilogy, I kind of think, you know, I like David Gordon Green for the most part, but I think he should like take a break from horror, uh, explore some different things. Like he's had success in comedy. Like I look back at like Pineapple Express or he's teamed with, you know, Danny McBride and Jody Hill on uh, Righteous Gemstones, Vice Principals, stuff like that. I think he he needs to go back to that world for a little bit and then see if he has something new and fresh to say about horror because I did see The Exorcist Believer and it was fine, but it was, it was boring. That was its biggest sin to me. It's mm. like, how are you going to have, you know, the world of The Exorcist and, and be a boring movie, like unacceptable. Yeah, for sure. Didn't they have a TV show on Fox like four years ago on Exorcist Thinks? I remember that sounds seeing something right. on it. The first it. episode was so boring. Like, oh my God, how could you have something that's boring? That's Well, obviously they can make yeah. a movie now on it. So. Well, that's another mm-hmm. problem with this is like when The Exorcist came out, it was this new thing and it was it, it garnered such a large audience because it was such a fresh idea. And now like there's so many Exorcist movies out there now. I mean, there's just like, there's a lot of like Exorcism is a common part of horror now. So it's like, it's got to do do something mm-hmm. to stand out and it just didn't really do that yeah hmm. 
Universal Pictures is gearing up to tell a definitive cinematic biopic about the life of Martin Luther King Jr. The studio has optioned the rights to adapt Jonathan Icke's critically acclaimed biography, King, A Life. Chris Rock is in final talks to direct and produce, and Steven Spielberg will be executive producer. Jay, I learned something uh, reading about this story, and that is that Steven Spielberg actually owns the film rights for all speeches ever given by Martin Luther King Jr., which is why he's involved. So like in Selma... Those are not real Martin Luther King Jr. speeches. Those were written for Selma because they couldn't use actual Martin Luther King Jr. speeches because Steven Spielberg owns the rights, which is just something I did not know. Uh, but now I do. And now you guys do, too. It's so strange. Really strange. <laughs> you should have saved that nugget for an episode of Commute, I have to say. <laughs> hey, maybe I'll bring it. Yeah, maybe we'll bring it out. <laughs> All right, up next. Studios met with representatives from SAG after three days last week in an attempt to work through a deal to end the actor strike, which has been ongoing for three months. Although the sides met again on Monday and will again on Wednesday, no deal seems imminent, although both sides are expressing cautious optimism that the talks are moving the conversation forward. Scotty, I like what I'm hearing. They're still talking. Things are moving forward. Maybe not as quickly as we had hoped with the resolution of the writer's strike, but still moving in a positive direction, so let's make it happen. Sweet. Netflix has canceled the History Channel spinoff series Vikings Valhalla after three seasons. The third and final season will air early next year and will conclude the series. Brian, um, I enjoyed the Vikings, the History Channel one. Like I watched that, especially the first couple seasons. Like, I would rewatch the episode before when the new episode would air. I had no idea this was out and then had, like, no desire to keep, top, like, watching mm. it. So, a lot of times, I think it was just the idea that when it came out, it was a fresh thing. I thought this was when it, I saw it finally after, like, in the second season going, like, oh, is this like a, you know, just happened to be the same name? And they had no desire to see it. So, for it ending, you know, the people that liked it good on you but it's sort of just like i think they did a really bad job promoting the show i'm gonna take my rebuttal here even though I, i've never seen this show uh because one thing i just started been thinking about today i heard some uh news reports about the the sort of how terrible twitter is doing right now and sort of like the wasteland that it has become um it's down under some other like sort of rip off sites and stuff like the, the traffic is way down. The market share is way down. Um, and I'm wondering if we're in a weird place with social media where like sort of because Elon Musk bought Twitter and sort of made like, instead of it being an algorithmically served thing where you're seeing the things you wanted to see, you're now just seeing like blue check marks and stuff. There's that going on. And then it, <coughs> there's this whole thing about the death of social media where you get like, you get a social media site, it serves the audience for a while until it needs to start making money and then it makes the audience serve the thing um, and sort of like turns the screws on the monetization and it starts stops being as functional. And I feel like Facebook, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. TikTok isn't really a place to learn about things necessarily. It can be, but it's it's more like for fun, frivolous stuff, it seems. That's, that's going to get me some hate mail. I love TikTok. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like when I scroll through, and I know it's algorithmic, whatever, it's not as, I don't feel as informed by it. Like, I can't stop and read it, whatever. Um, 
and then with Twitter falling away, I'm wondering if like we're just not getting the same sort of like news served to us that we once had. Like I, like you said, you didn't even know this was happening and it's a show you liked. Like mm-hmm. maybe yeah, I'm wondering if social media is kind of failing us right now, <laughs> basically. Um it's just unrelated to the story in a way, but I, I just keep hearing that that people don't even know shows exist. There was a big um I watched a screen crush video today about how Loki all the big review screen crush new rock stars all of those made review episodes about loki and they were like way down in downloads or like uh views on youtube to what they normally are like a third of the down the the expected views for loki that they would normally see it's just like i i just wonder like if we're not even knowing and a lot of people apparently he did polls screen crush guy did polls and a lot of people said oh i didn't know that started you know it's like where are we getting our news now if not from a good algorithm because algorithms are sort of like twisting i don't know it's it's weird moving on sorry that was really Uh, it's it's super interesting i just don't think i have anything compelling to add to it but it's it's definitely an interesting conversation and uh, kind of paradigm shift we're living through yeah yeah Christoph Waltz has joined the cast of Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein adaptation. The film will also star Andrew Garfield, Mia Goth, and Oscar Isaac. Matt, this just sounds awesome. I had no idea if this was happening. Uh, speaking of not knowing something was happening, uh, these just four great actors and a great director uh, with a story that I feel like they're all going to uh, grab and chew well. So like, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, did we get any casting or we just know that these are the cast members involved we haven't had any roles assigned because like I, my right. mind immediately goes to who's playing frankenstein and I'm, I'm thinking it's oscar isaac based on this line i feel like that too <laughs> i feel like that too yeah. and then if if he's oscar isaac then andrew well, garfield frankenstein's monster say. excuse me i misspoke Sorry. i was gonna say yes, clarify yes, yes. between the you know. <laughs> it's frankenstein yeah yeah you go ahead and delete that email you were typing out you know just now yeah. like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like actually the monster's not coming yeah you can go ahead and delete that <laughs> uh, but yeah, though this this movie was announced a long time ago, but like I think it's always been off the cuff. Like so he was so he was like in an interview. He's like, oh yeah, we're doing a Frankenstein thing because I love Frankenstein and Andrew Garfield's gonna be in it. Me and Goth is gonna be in it. Oscar Isaac's gonna be in it. And that was in like March. And so now it's just he was getting interviewed. That's where he talked about this job of the hut thing. And he was just like, oh yeah, yeah, I've added some more people to Frankenstein. You know, it's just kind of like off the cuff. So I'd say we'll see more official stuff move on this the closer we get to these strikes ending and everything like that. We'll see it worked into the news flow. Sure. All right. That's going to, that's going to be our uh, poll this week. Who do you think these people are playing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to ask that. Well, I'll figure it out. The Tiana animated series in the works at Disney Plus has enlisted Joyce Sherry as the show's lead writer and director. The series has previously been described as a follow-up to the 2009 animated film The Princess and the Frog, which introduced the character of Tiana. Scotty, I actually have not seen The Princess and the Frog. It's one of my weird gaps in my my animation viewership but uh I, I think this is she's a princess that i don't think has gotten the spotlight as much as she needs to in terms of you know disney uh having more representation and diversity with their lineup of princesses i think it's it's nice that this character is going to get um you know be fleshed out a little bit and have more adventures and disney plus seems like the perfect place to do it absolutely tony shalhoub is set to return to the role of everyone's favorite neurotic gumshoe monk for the first time in 12 years in peacock's mr monk's last case a monk movie streaming december 8th brian 
Um, I was a huge fan. I don't know if you guys remember the show Wings that was on. That was pretty much yeah. with Tony Shalhoub as Antonio Scarpacci, the cab driver on Nantucket Island. And he did a couple of things after that. And then when this aired on USA back in like, I think it was like 2002, 2003 it aired. I fell in love with it right away, but it was one of those low key starting shows. And then that year, like the Academy Awards came out and he was nominated for best lead actor in a comedy. I'm like, oh my God, people, other people know this. And then over the course of the show, it just got more and more. And he won, I don't know how many um, Emmys he won for, not Academy Awards, sorry, Emmys. And it's always been a low key. I think I've rewatched the show in its entirety two or three times because it's just such a, the character itself is the perfect example of like, OCD, neurotic, just like, you know, like, but he does it in such a funny way that it's the, the show itself. And just even with some of the um, side characters, especially because like one of the, the cops on the show, I think, was the uh, guy that played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. So you see him and you go, OK, this is just really weird. So but the, the show, I'm mm. really excited when he announced this. I'm like, hey, cool. You know, it's just like when he announced uh, another show on USA Psych, when they keep announcing these psych movies that come out. I'm like, and this is great. Just keep the franchise going in little bits and dribs and drabs here. Yeah. You mentioned Wings and I just can't get it out of my head. What was it? What, did it have like an iconic theme song? Because I'm like thinking of that song. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. But I don't know if that was. Wings no, that's or not, greatest. But... That's the greatest American hero. Oh, okay, greatest American hero. Okay. <laughs> Wings just had Wings had Stephen Weber and um, okay. uh, it was Stephen Weber and um, Tim Daly, who was pretty much I think known for being uh, the voice of Spider or Superman in a lot of the. Uh, uh, oh no, maybe is he Batman in a lot of the DC animated movies? But okay. uh, hmm. and Tom and Hayden, Thomas Hayden Church uh, as Lowell uh, got his uh, start in acting on that show too. So you know, okay. Sandman in uh, Spider-Man Three. Yeah, yes. I-, I watched a lot of Wings as a kid. I loved that show. Yeah. <laughs> it was a spinoff of Cheers, so it was always cool when like Norm or uh, you know any of the guys from Cheers would just show up because they had like a layover oh, wow. in Nantucket because it's I didn't not even that remember that Boston. So that's cool. That's cool. Netflix is splitting The Crown's sixth and final season into two parts. The first four episodes will premiere on November 16th, with the final six episodes following four weeks later on December 14th. Brian, I guess I'll just say that Netflix is finally realizing that dumping everything all at once is not Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing with Stranger Things where they're like, oh, we didn't have these shows finished, so we couldn't all drop them on memorial day weekend so they dropped them on fourth of july weekend i still think that was planned because it just <laughs> yeah. constantly when you do the week by week thing even though a lot of people like the binge method you'd lose the social media presence of not people talking about it waiting for the next episode so when you dump all this stuff it's great a lot of times where you could watch it all but then all of a sudden like two weeks later you're like oh yeah i totally forgot umbrella academy was on you know stuff mm-hmm. like that so they you know the the old format the water cooler talk thing definitely uh, I think has changed their mindset of, especially with the things that are such big properties, yep. to split them like this. Yeah, this is their new release strategy. This is what they're going to do from now on: is uh, is do this. All the all their major shows are going to be doing this. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah especially because it's what four weeks later, so that gives yeah. enough time for people to rewatch in yeah. mm-hmm. order to get like that week beforehand to see them again. It gets you buzz around those first four episodes, but it's not so long that it's it's you're gonna lose those people, and so it gets enough time for enough people to catch up, and then everybody watches that final episodes together. Yeah, um, it's smart. 
I would love it if they did the little thing from SpongeBob where they have the title card when there's ever there's like an interlude or a passage of time, and this one just says four weeks later. All right, up next, the season two premiere of Loki racked up 10.9 million views worldwide over its first three days, making it the second most watched premiere of Disney Plus series in 2023, behind only the season three opener of Mandalorian in March. Scotty. Matt, go for it. I'm just kind of, the most surprising thing to this about this to me is that the Mandalorian season three did that well because I, I didn't realize it had pulled those kind of numbers because my exposure to the sentiment has been, and my personal opinion is, is that season three of the Mandalorian was kind of the weakest season of that show. But I do think it's interesting to hear um, Loki pulled these numbers, especially with what you brought up, Matt, about the social media conversation and how like YouTubers that are breaking down this first episode aren't seeing the returns and forms of view. So obviously there was an audience that showed up for this show. I mean, and Disney Plus is, you know, employing this new release strategy that they first started with Ahsoka, kind of honing in on this um, primetime TV slot there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just obviously people are watching it. So it's it's just interesting that uh, I guess they're going choosing different avenues to to have their conversations or their breakdowns about the show. Maybe they're coming to Stranded Panda. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I would like to see those down the numbers. I am surprised that they're doing it on Thursday because it does conflict with Thursday night football, which is going to routinely pull huge numbers. Uh, Thursday night football is on Amazon prime now. So they do own the rights to stream Thursday night football. So it's not, uh, it's not ESPN. It's not anything, ABC, anything like that. So it is a separate thing, but I did find that kind of surprising because I was watching the game uh, on Thursday and I thought like, oh, Loki's on right now because uh, these games start around 8.15. And, th- you know, thankfully the game that I was watching, it was kind of a blowout. So I went and watched Loki. But if it was a close <laughs> game, like I'm probably waiting until Friday uh, to catch Loki because it's just I'm probably going to be able to avoid spoilers and a game's a live thing. And mm-hmm. um, so I did find that surprising. You usually don't want to challenge those Sunday night, Monday night and Thursday night, especially if you're just running through October. I've got a rebuttal for both of those things. One for J.A., I think it was for its back because it was the Bears and Commanders at first, and yeah. people were like, oh, it really gives a crap about this at the time. In the future, it might be different. And B, J. Scotty, what you were saying, too, I guess, compared to The Mandalorian, even if people didn't like the season, the first episode, no one knew what was going on. So I think people sure. would probably mm-hmm. jump right in and be like, oh, Mandalorian's back. And, yeah. you know, depending on, you know, at the time, if people knew, like, Jack Black was going to be in that episode, they may not have turned <laughs> in right away for it. So Right. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think the Thursday night thing, I mean, obviously they couldn't do it on Tuesday, which was doing well for Ahsoka because Ahsoka had aired unless they wanted to push it back a week and to say it like Tuesdays. Because I remember they did the Friday, but then that was Netflix day and then they moved it to Wednesday. And then it's like, now we're going to move it to Tuesday primetime. It's like, well, stay in the lane, I guess, and just keep mm. doing it. Yeah, but don't don't put it up against one of the most watched things because that is... They've always said when football is on and it's the only thing, like you don't have anything else for football, a lot of people just gravitate towards it because the NFL is such watch regardless. So maybe a lot of people are like, eh, there's nothing else going on. Let's watch the Bears and Commanders. So I'm, I'm going to say this kind of goes with my pet theory that like they have intentionally set their midnight showings all these years because they don't want their systems to crash. 
So they don't really want all eyeballs on a thing as soon as it drops um, because they kind of want to disperse the views over at least a few. Like my theory has always been like the diehards watching it at two in the morning and then like the rest of the people catch it the next day. But in this case, it's like people that have football to watch. You're only delaying it by three hours. You're probably not going to get spoiled. You might watch it the next day, but you're still, you're now this is kind of genius. If they're doing that on purpose, putting it up against something that will steal some of its viewers, the first few hours, they're not having it crash, but they're also getting the benefit of being in the conversation on Twitter for like, you know, being trending and stuff during prime time. So I think that actually might be really clever um, if it's if it's deliberate. I don't know. According to a new U.S. copyright listing from Marvel Studios for Agatha Darkhold Diaries, Aubrey Plaza will officially play Rio Vidal in the Disney Plus series as she makes her MCU debut. Scotty. So I hope this is an instance of, you know, how we say lie to me, Marvel. I I hope (laughs) and kind of expect that this is one of those situations because outside of the copyright claim, I can't really find anything official confirming this news. But thinking about Agatha Darkhold Diaries and the cast that we have confirmed so far, a lot of those those people are returning from WandaVision. So Aubrey Plaza is like one of the few new players here. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to like release who the character is going to be like this far out in advance. But uh, upon doing some research, Rio Vidal is not a character from Marvel comments or comics rather. Um, so it, it sounds like she's going to play a foil to, to Agatha or uh, to Catherine Hans Agatha from her, her past days in her coven and whatnot. And Aubrey Plaza can do no wrong. She's an extreme talent. I loved her in Legion. She's really good at playing this kind of like quirky, unhinged, like otherworldly type of character. So I think she fits in perfectly in the world of WandaVision. And I ha- I suspect that Agatha is going to take things a little zanier and a little wackier. And I think she will fit in right alongside that that tone. I was thinking that maybe it's sort of like with the whole multiverse now, it's actually like a variation of Lenny from Legion. Oh, that'd be great. I yeah. would so love it's that. Just like, that would be so I would cool. love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, up next, Roku has acquired the exclusive premiere U.S. rights to the Spiderwick Chronicles after Disney Plus declined to pick up the completed series. The eight-episode series, based on the best-selling book series, will premiere on the Roku channel in early 2024. Jay, uh, I'm glad to see that this has a home. Uh, I know a lot of people were invested in it that read the books and were interested in seeing the series come to life. The fact that the series was literally completed too, uh, that the creators were not going to be able to showcase the content that they made was kind of depressing. And this was part mm-hmm. of the the merge purge that we've talked about as uh, these groups have come together and they've purged content. Disney did not see this as elevating uh, their streaming platform uh, as rather being a cost. So the fact that it is going to be on the Roku channel, it'll at least be a place where somebody can watch it if they're interested in that franchise. I think it's a good thing. I always consider the Roku channel to be sort of a a, a bottom tier streaming service, of course, because it kind of is, and it has kind of weird, (laughs) clunky ads and interface. But the one good thing about this is the people who want to find it a lot of them will find it because when something is on the Roku channel and it's premiering, they promote it all over the Roku. It like runs across your Roku screen all day long. So I think that a lot of people will actually find out this exists. We have a lot of fire sticks here and they show stuff like the things like freebie Roku and mm-hmm. there's another Tubi. one. Or like, yeah. Those things I'm like, these shows, do these things actually have like 
original content, but they always are popped up on as apps that are on the Fire Stick that you can see all the time that are there. So now that this thing is, you know, in a couple months, because I remember watching the movie 10, 15 years ago and being like, oh, it's a, it's a cool movie. You know, I'm always interested in that type of genre type stuff. So you give it a shot because sometimes you find something that you end up being like, wow, this is actually really enjoyable. So, mm-hmm. but for Disney Plus, to, I mean, I'm assuming if it was under their rights, they were the ones that made it and did everything with it. And then many they're like, yeah, we'll make more money than selling it off than actually putting it on a platform where more yep. people could see it. But, you know, that's the JPEG effect, I think, after all the crap he did. So, Yep, yep. Something like that. Oh, the merge purge. <laughs> all the merge purge. Uh, in an article for Variety on behind-the-scenes Aquaman 2 drama involving Jason Momoa and Amber Heard, the publication has confirmed that no Snyder-era DCEU actors will portray their roles in the upcoming rebooted DCU. Matt, that, I think we all expected this. I'm I'm glad it it was came out some other way than James Gunn. James Gunn talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> I just glad it came out any other way. Like maybe the first week James Gunn hasn't released information. <laughs> he probably did. We did. We're not no, talking about it. I'm surprised you guys didn't go immediately to the bet because like I'm starting to get suspicious that Jay I, has an inside man that's like purposely orchestrating Aquaman 2's failure. <laughs> I said at the beginning, the smear campaign is alive and well, and mm-hmm. I'm feeling very good about my lowball prediction of Aquaman 2. <laughs> it's a race well, to the bottom, baby. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Last story we have here. Jerry Seinfeld ignited speculation about the future of the beloved sitcom Seinfeld while addressing a Boston audience during a recent stand-up routine. Scotty! <laughs> this come in 25 years ago why are you bringing it back let the show there's nothing sacred uh no there's there's really not a lot to pull from this one but you know coming off the heels of like the Frasier reboot and the friends reunion um seinfeld is one of the most rewatchable and beloved sitcoms of all time and for good reason so yeah thinking about we kind of talked off on off air about how the fate of these characters was getting a sent uh a prison sentence at the end of that. And I think it was 25 years. So we're coming like right up on that. So if they were going to do something, it would be interesting to revisit these characters like so many years in the future and maybe how they have or haven't reformed after their, their, their stint. <laughs> Definitely haven't. I'm on. hoping that their prison sentence wasn't 25 years for being a bad Samaritan or whatever they got, you know, sentenced for. Like I think God. it was only like one, wasn't it? I yeah. don't remember. I think yeah. it was one year, but yeah, I mean, they did do the thing on curb where they had them all come back to portray themselves in the way that Curb portrays the characters and then them mm-hmm. sort of coaching. I always remember like Michael Richards, like the, the interactions he was having with the guy that was playing Kramer on the, uh, the reboot of it. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious, but like you said offline was that Larry David had mentioned that, yeah, there's, this is the closest we're going to get, but that was 10 plus yeah. years ago. It can never judge with Curb Your Enthusiasm because I know that was season five, but season five was probably, I mean, they don't go yeah, by. They, they don't do one every there's year. There's five years in between seasons sometimes mm-hmm. with that show, but um, having it come yeah. back in some sense, if it, even if it's more of like a, a six episode type thing. I, I enjoyed Friends, but that thing that they had, the reunion was a, it wasn't even like a reunion. We didn't learn anything new about the characters. So uh, we'll see. I mean, there's enough people out there to watch it, so. 
right. yeah, yeah. I definitely like the idea of a reunion, kind of sit down, reminisce on the past, talk about the making of, things like that. I kind of like the idea of that a little bit more than a revival or uh, trying to bring it back. It's just, uh, I don't know. I, I think people will have different opinions on it. But to me, I, I'd be more interested in seeing just the cast talk about the making of the show than anything else. I think it'd be kind of weird, though, especially with this being this far along and how successful in the sense that Jerry was as a stand-up comedian on the show, you know that they can't all be living in that same crappy apartments. I mean, not <laughs> crappy itself, but it was just like the way it was set up that they wouldn't all still be living there 25 years later. I mean, now they're all going to move out like in Friends where, you know, they moved out, some of them move out to the suburbs. So is that what happens in this? Do they go and be like, okay, let's see what, um, you know, is Newman, I mean, I don't know if he's still going to be a mailman, you know, 25 years later, but so it's, it, it's, it's a catch 22 double-edged sword for me. It's just like, you'd always love to see it, but then you also be like, I'm a huge Fraser fan and I have no, I mean, I'm going to watch it, but the, the reboot or the continuation of that to me doesn't work really when you're not having half of the main cast. That was a big part of the show come back. So as we're kind of discussing this and going back and back and forth, I've kind of like landed in this, this place where I kind of want to see both. And it would be really cool if they almost did a hybrid where it was like a reunion show where we got to see the cast talk about like the behind the scenes and stuff like that. But then you could pause and have like vignettes that show like in a scripted, you know, production like where the characters are at now and like i just kind of have this scene playing out in my head of like george finally being free after his prison sentence and being like i'm free and then like jerry just like coming up behind him and being like but yeah you're still the master of your domain or like <laughs> teasing that we're going to get this reboot but then you have like the soup nazi come on and just be like no reboot for you and then they go into like you know the the reunion show instead hmm. <laughs> get at me get at me nbc i can write for you <laughs> yeah yeah this guy's got it all planned out all right. Well, that is all of our stories for today, and uh, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us again. Go. We'll make a page on the uh, our Multiverse News page. On There'll be a link on our Multiverse News page on StrandedPanda.com for the review contest and the ways to get um, those low-key DVDs that we're going to be giving out. And uh, yeah, just go give us some five-star reviews. Come on, guys. We need them. We need them. Um, send us that screenshot, and we will... Uh, we will Get that, get that going. Uh, all that will be very helpful. And patreon.com slash multiverse newscast. Um, tell the people where they can find you online, BVK. Source pages. Um, that's the show that Haley, the person who's normally in this spot that I am, uh, you know, so lovingly taking this week, is, uh, we're both hosts of Source Pages, where we take comics and novels as primers, continuations, or adaptations for your favorite geek, geek TV. Yeah. Man, it's like I, it's it's like contagious today doing like this uh, tripping over your own tongue. <laughs> we basically take all the comics and novels and use them as primers, adaptations, or continuations of our favorite geeky TV shows and movies, and get to talk about them and stuff like that. So you can find us on all places where you find podcasts. We're on Facebook. We're on um, Instagram. We're on. Twitter, that's all the social media stuff. Haley does all that cool stuff, and I do all the, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff, and she's the face out there. Obviously, she's on this show, hopefully promoting it every week. Which show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we've never <laughs> heard of the that. First, this is the first I'm hearing of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, we'll be back next week with our, we call it our Spark Jedi Council, which is uh, myself, Haley, my friend Todd, and uh, James Hewings, Yoda Hugh, who's been a fan of this show since the beginning. And uh, we are going to be talking about and reviewing Ahsoka, the TV show, and compare it to our primers we had for that. So Nice. We usually drop nice. shows about actually about the same time as... Uh, this show is airing on Twitch on Tuesday, so I'm usually sending Haley all the information about the show being live on Apple Podcasts, and she's probably like not paying attention because she's doing this. So, <laughs> but thanks awesome. for having me on, guys. Yeah, dude, thanks yeah, for having yeah, me. Yeah, it was really great here. to have you. Always great to have cast with you, bud. Um, and uh, Jay Scotty, tell me where they can find you online. Yeah, over at Animation Deliberation, where the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I know Spy Family Season 2 just dropped, so that first episode's out there. I know uh, me and my co-hosts are excited to talk about that, as well as all of the uh, other animated content coming down the pike. Sweet. And Jay Sisson. Yeah, you can find me at Commute the Podcast, where me and my co-host Dave try to cram three interesting topics into 20 minutes, try to make you smarter on your way to work. Sweet. Well, uh... If you if you want to find some talk about some people talking about Loki, that's what we're doing this week over on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, um, which uh, would be great to have you come check that out. Uh, we love uh, covering that show; it's my favorite of the new era of Marvel, and I'm just really pumped about it. I guess it's probably my favorite Marvel show: Daredevil or that or Punisher, one of those three, but probably Loki. Yeah, so I love talking about it. So go check out the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, and again, if you want to support the show patreon.com slash multiverse newscast and if it's not up it'll be up the next day or two and we'll be we'll be mentioning it we love you all very much peace you stay classy multiverse